Friday, June 25th, episode 94 of The Hesse. Brought to you by basketballgods.net. Let me fire off some quick hitters here because there's been a lot of news just outside of these games, right? We're in the conference finals and it's just like, I don't know, man, the NBA is winning. I know the NFL is the almighty sports league of, of America, but the NBA, man, is there's a lot more drama. It was reported maybe uh, Wednesday, Alex Caruso was on his way to get some cow tipping in and got popped for some trees in Texas. I was kind of surprised because Caruso kind of strikes me as the type that wants every advantage, right? Like he's really had to battle to make it in the league. You can tell he puts a lot of time in the weight room, right? And so, hey, that's not to say that it's necessarily hurting him. It's the offseason. But again, I just, I didn't think he was that type. So that was a little, you know, surprising news to hear. He forgot where he was at, right? You got to get back to Cali, baby. The coaching carousel is starting to clear up here. Rick Carlisle quickly bounces back to his old team, the Indiana Pacers. And it just goes to show you how good of a coach he is. Because you rarely see a team bring a coach back. And then just look at how quick it happened. Now, the Pacers were in a predicament with, uh, what was his name? Whatever that dude looked like. The, <laughs> the skinhead looking dude that, that wasn't getting along with everybody up there. So, um, yeah, that, that fell right into place for the Indiana Pacers. They need to send uh, Mark Cuban some flowers for that one. Meanwhile, in Dallas, the news is, I don't know if it's official official. But, I mean, it's being reported at every major outlet. Jason Kidd is going to be the next head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. It seems like Mark, he just can't help but gamble. Ironically, Mark has apparently become infatuated or empowered this professional gambler, right? And his analytics, and that's been some of the, the issues behind the scenes. But I'm just talking about Mark in general. It feels like Mark is the type that just wants to take risks for the sake of taking risks. And I think it's hard to argue when you look at how, you know, his life has turned out. Obviously, he's been greatly rewarded for it. And now at this stage, being, you know, a mogul in this team, I, I, again, I think he's addicted to the risks. Bringing Kidd back, I don't know, man. And look, Jason Kidd is one of my all-time favorite players, right? The Bay Area legend. I, I tried to model my game after him. Him and Reggie Miller, I'm a 90s kid, right? And so... I had to model my game after the two light-skinned. But uh, look, I, I think that he may very well help Luca individually. And I think that he could be a great lead assistant. But the HNIC? Nah, nah I, don't, I don't think he's buttoned up enough. I think that that's a mistake. And again, just a risk that's not necessary from, from Mark. I guess you could push back and say any coach you bring in is a risk. I just think Kid is a much greater risk. For some reason, it felt like this went underreported. Boston, they also found their head coach in Udoka. What's his first name? I don't even know. His last name is so unique, you just call him Udoka. Remember, dude, that he was a role player for the Spurs. And I'm not saying that this isn't well-deserved. I know that he has been working his way up the ranks. Let, let me get his name. I guess I'm being I'm being a little disrespectful here. Oh, well, that's the, re that's the reason I don't know his name. I don't even know how to pronounce his first name is I-M-E. Imi? Imi Adoka? Anyway, 
you know, I know that he's been working his way up the coaching ranks since the second he stopped playing. Remember, he he was, I think he was an undrafted player that the Spurs held on to and he became a decent role player. And again, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve this, but Boston is clearly trying to change the narrative and optics around the team and the culture of the franchise, right? And so, hey, it's a savvy move. We'll see. I just wonder how much of race played a part in this hiring. It looks like the Tokyo Olympic team is set here. Let me go down the list. There was a lot of names that were kind of in and out of it, but this is the official list. Katie, Book, Dame, Tatum, Beal, Levine, Holiday, Kevin Love, Bam, Draymond, Middleton, and Jeremy Grant. There were other names that were associated. Thank God Steph turned it down. Thank God Steph turned it down as a Warriors fan. And I'm sure the Warriors front office is not thrilled that Draymond is going. Right? This is time that could be spent in the gym. I don't know, learning how to make a shot or something like that. Right? You know, it's not like he's going to get better. It's not like Draymond needs the big game experience. And a guy that is of Draymond's ilk, that's not a skill-based player, it's so much more finite because it's it's not based off skill. And so, yeah, I, I didn't like that, but I just thought it was a curious decision for Durant, Dame, and then Kevin Love. Like, you can't even play in regular season games, but you're going to go play in Tokyo. If I'm Dan Gilbert, I'm I'm super salty at that. But I don't know, maybe, maybe I guess, you know what Cleveland's thinking is? I, I actually understand it because maybe Kevin Love can raise his value. What if he has a great Tokyo showing and then they can finally trade him? So maybe that's the reason behind that. Um, but yeah, some of these older cats like, like KD and Dame and Holiday, like if you're over 30, I don't know. If you, just given the, the last two seasons of basketball and how condensed it's been, I guess it really just depends what you value. You know, I, I can't knock someone if they say, hey, man, this gold medal means more to me than you know, competing deep into the playoffs or whatever. I can't, you, you know, that's that's up for them to determine. But I think that this team should really just be left up to the Youngbloods, right? The Tatums, the Books, the Bams. And if I was a general manager moving forward in this league, I would start trying to put it in the contracts. I would try to gain some control of that. And, and I don't know, you know, how possible that is, but something along the lines of where, if we make the playoffs, the season of the Olympics, the team reserves the right to hold you out from the Olympic competition. And I don't know if you can get away with that. I guess you could write it in there. You could try. Some players would sign it. Some players would, you know, push back. But I just, uh, I don't know, man. It, it It's, uh, you're paying these guys so much money and then they want to load manage during the season, but then they want to go play in the summer. I'd feel the type of way if I was cutting the checks. Now, draft, all that stuff. I talked about the scouting, and, and you can expect some of that stuff from me. And I'll get into some of the trade talks as they heat up here in free agency and the draft happens. That's when it really starts to get rumbling, right? But go check out my guy, Stevie Ray, over at basketballgods.net because he's already whipping up all sorts of trade scenarios over there with pieces every week. But I did have to bring up one of these. I had to bring up the report that the Nets will field offers on Kyrie Irving this summer. Go back on my YouTube. I made a James Harden trade reaction video. 
I don't do many of those. It was such a shocking deal. And I had the time I hopped right on and I gave like an instant reaction to the trade. And this is exactly what I said. The, the Nets already could sense that they couldn't trust Kyrie. And so that's why they were so aggressive to get Harden. So then they could eventually move off of Kyrie. Now, winning cures all. I understand that. And so if they would have stayed healthy and ended up winning this season, it would have been hard to stay mad at Kyrie. But again, I thought the Harden trade was because they had already figured out that Kyrie couldn't be relied on. Think about this. It took KD one season to green light this. Right? Think about it. They mastermind this move and form this team, and they are soul brothers. Right? And one season, and he's on the block. It took KD one season to figure this out. Hey, I told you so. In other news, the Sixers have decided to keep Ben Simmons. And I've decided to cut off both my thumbs. I mean, <laughs> he's going to be in a New Jersey by the beginning of training camp. Let's just keep it a buck here. Daryl Morey is no doubt a smart guy, but I think he lacks social finesse. Like he strikes me as the type of smart guy that thinks everybody else is dumb. And so he kind of is a, I don't know, he moves a little too transparent for me as far as some of the things he tries to get off. It's like, yeah, okay, Daryl, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But again, they're going to be posturing with the trade market, just like these draft picks. We were on the Discord, me and my guy last night, just dreaming of Cade Cunningham to the Warriors scenarios. And, uh, you know, people are like, well, the pit, why would they trade the first pick or Houston the pick? But that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to dangle these picks because you never know. Someone could come with just a king's ransom for them. You, you got to at least test the market. And Daryl Morey has at least got to try to posture with Ben Simmons as if we might not trade him. Okay. Okay, buddy. My boy was asking me about Kerr's comments on KD. I don't know how many of you heard that, but I'm sure most of you have seen the blurb from it by now. He said KD is more talented than Jordan. And he was basically just heaping praise on him and how, how gratifying it was to see him healthy and playing this season. And so I think it's genuine. I do. I think, you know, I think Kerr's a straight shooter, but I also think Kerr understands the influence that KD has on this next generation and the optics of what happened in that final season. But we also have to understand the words that were being used in what he said. Because talented doesn't mean better, right? Like Wiggins is more talented than Klay Thompson. Doesn't mean he's better. KD stay in the news, right? They're done and KD's still in the news. I'm sure you saw the back and forth with he and Pippen where, you know, I just hope these dudes, like, like Kendrick Perkins is just like, my God. It's, it's just buffoonery, right, at this point. But... Pippen is too good to start doing that. And he hasn't, Pippen hasn't been a hot take guy in the, in the past. I don't think he is. I think he feels this way, but he basically came out and accused Duran of playing hero ball and said he's not really able to lead a team like LeBron and some of the other great players. And of course, KD clapped back with the facts about how Pippen refused to go in the end of the game. You know, the, the infamous story, right? The thing is with what Pippen was saying, wasn't Durant kind of forced into playing hero ball? down the stretch of that series, right? You got one-legged Harden, no Kyrie. Joe Harris, again, turned into Grayson Allen real quick. 
And so who was he going to kick it to? I think that Pippen would have more of a point had the team been healthy, and that's how they went out. By the way, this is kind of random, but Steph needs to take more control of his brand. He's launched the official Curry brand under the Under Armour umbrella. Go on East Bay right now or Foot Locker and go look at the new colorway of his shoe. Go look at the new colorway of the Curry 8s and explain to me who is going to wear that and where. All right, let's get into these games. Hawks, Bucks, game one. Bud's got to go. He, he needs to go coach college or maybe, I don't know, shine shoes in an airport, something. He, he can't be up in the, in the NBA playoffs like this, right? It, it, that much is clear. Listen to him after the game one loss. We'll get better game after game after game. We'll get smarter. We'll play better. We'll play everything. All right? Keep your heads up. That's supposed to instill confidence coming from a coach who hasn't gotten smart or adjusted. <laughs> That's the irony, right? <laughs> I, man, it's kind of baffling to me um, how these guys get to this point. Maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe I just don't understand. But it's, it's kind of astonishing. Maybe it's just nepotism. But despite the disappointing game one loss for the Bucs, I thought there were quite a few positives. Giannis, I think that was the best playmaking I've seen from him in the half court, maybe ever. He was driving with the intention to, to kick, and he was making reads. He wasn't just plowing in there. He also shot six of eight from the free throw line. That's got to be promising, right? And then Drew looks like he's finally out of that shooting slump. But ultimately, Bud is going to fuck around and lose this series, isn't he? He's going to fuck around and lose this series. He's got to get Lopez out of there. Look, I am not. I don't have some magic bullet for y'all. Y'all know what to do too, right? I think everybody's sitting on their couch like, hmm, uh, maybe they should trap. Maybe they should show hard. You could switch at times. You've got to switch it up. So ultimately, you got to go smaller and you've got to show Trey multiple looks off of those screen actions, right? Whether that is trapping when you can, Showing hard with a more athletic big, if that's Giannis. And then sometimes just switching. But at the end of the game, I thought you saw some real suspect decisions from the Bucks in going to Middleton, who was like 5 of 23 on the night, instead of Drew, who was cooking all night. Or how about abandoning the Drew-Giannis pick and roll that ended in a dunk every time? I think there's a pecking order problem with the Bucks, And what it seems to me is, Drew needs to be the decision maker and the initiator late in game. But because he's the new guy, it feels like he's yielding to Middleton and Giannis. And so I think that's why you just saw some weird decisions in the final two minutes of that game as far as how they were going to try to score and answer. Yeah, I'm probably doing a disservice here making this about the Bucs and, and their poor decisions and not giving this young Hawks team their love, man, because at this point, they seem like a team of destiny. I have the same feeling of, of the Suns and Hawks. Like, okay, these two teams, it kind of feels like lightning in a bottle this season. Some, some extra magic and chemistry with these two young teams. And so that's what I want to see in the finals. But it's official now, right? Trey Young is a superstar. I'm not even going to bring up the Luka conversation again, right? But it's getting closer and closer. And you could probably, ah, let's just leave it there. We'll talk about that another time. I think the question is, is this sustainable throughout this series? Now, obviously, he's not going to average 45, right? But I'll tell you what, they stay in that drop coverage. Shit, I don't know. He might, he might average a 40 piece because 
the other thing that that coverage does is it allows Trey to play at his pace. He isn't going to wear down against that defense because he, he can do what he wants. He's out there shimmying. <laughs> Pretty incredible. I mean, the Bucs, they have to come out and make adjustments. And the problem was, too, it was game one. You gave this team a ton of confidence in game one. And that's kind of been their recipe, right? They've stolen every game one in each round. Suns Clippers game three in Staples Center, and it was the return of Chris Paul. Game started out, and there was just a ton of tough shot making from both sides. Just a ton of contested shots being made. I thought it was interesting to see Beverly in the starting lineup and just how aggressive he was offensively. Like, how many shots did Beverly take in the first six minutes of the game? I think that that's a fine line with a guy like Beverly where you want him to be aggressive and confident, but it could come back to haunt them. And Beverly, he can get he can get hot. He can shoot well for phases, but he also can go ice cold. But that's the thing with this Clippers team and Ty Lu. He won't let it happen, right? If Beverly starts hitting the side of the backboard, he will yank him just like that. Ty Lu is getting his praise right now, rightfully so. Now, is he the best coach in the league? I can't go that far. I can't go that far. But what I really like about his style is he takes his ego out of it. That's why he's so adaptable. He doesn't care about being right. He just wants to win. And I think he's able to shuffle guys in and out of the rotation because they see that. They're like, it's not personal. Ty Lue will try anything. If you ain't, if you ain't getting it done, next guy up. And when you keep that same consistent energy, the players will buy into it because, again, they don't feel like it's a personal agenda. So back to the game, a lot of tough shots going down to start. It was very physical. I still feel like the Clippers are getting the whistle, whether it was in Phoenix or in Los Angeles. You saw Crowder. He got busted in the chops on a Paul George pump fake. And it was the same call that they nailed Booker with in game two, right, where he went up and the elbow caught Beverly in the mouth. And then with like 30 seconds to go in the first, campaign got rolled up on his ankle. And then in the second quarter, it kind of felt like the Clippers were running out of gas. And you say, well, they've got the depth, you know, but I mean, remember they went to a game seven and then a game six. And I think there is something to the fact that they're always playing from behind, whether that's in the series or just in games, right? When you're always playing catch up, you, you have to use more energy. It, it's more physical energy. And then there's just a mental fatigue of being down. But what kind of equaled that out was Book and Chris Paul were a combined four of 19 in the first half. And so it was a close one headed into the third, and then the Suns go cold. Booker picks up his fourth, and at one point, I think the Clippers, they pushed it out to like 17, 16, 17-point lead, and the Suns, they hung around, they answered, they cut it to single digits, and then there was just a huge sequence to end that third quarter where Kennard hits a big corner three, and then Cam Johnson pushes it. He goes coast to coast, he gets himself to the line, and then PG hits that bank shot from half court. And that was just devastating. That kills you. Again, because you would cut it to single digits and he pushes it back out with a 50-foot bomb off glass. That was tough. And then in the fourth quarter, let's just call it what it was. Chris Paul, I think, really killed them. I know that you could point to a ton of fourth quarters where he put the Suns over the top and he got it done. I thought he lost them the game in the fourth quarter. And let's blame Booker as well, because I think both of them were just taking bad shots. 
I'll give credit to the Clippers defense, Terrence Mann and Beverly and their their perimeter defense was hounding. But it also felt like Paul and Booker were kind of forcing the issue. They weren't making the extra pass and they were just taking tough shots. But now I think the biggest storyline is campaign in that ankle, right? Because when you get rolled up on like that, it typically tends to be a worse sprain. Obviously, every every injury is different, right? But when you get rolled up on, it's just a more irregular angle than coming down or just turning it over on the side of your foot. They need him. And I'm sure Chris Paul will find his rhythm. He, he was out for 11 days. And people you know that don't hoop might say, well, big whoop, 11 days, he got rest. But I promise you, as a basketball player, any more than three days off in a row, it will mess with your rhythm. And that's why you see gym rats with no days off. They don't want to ever lose their rhythm. And so CP kind of gets a pass for that shooting. But again, some of the it it definitely didn't help them. You know, you could make the argument that they would have been a different outcome without CP out there. They have to readjust to him being out there within this matchup. And they're going to need pain. But I don't know. Those rolled up ankle injuries are different, man. There's someone else's weight on it a lot of the time. And we'll see how that goes. I'm sure he's going to be out there, but at what capacity? And so now we have a series, right? As close as the first two games were, if Suns pulled this game out last night, it would feel like the series was all but over. And now, you know, this is a series. Does Kawhi come back? And you wonder if he has the same kind of negative impact that Chris Paul did initially for the Suns. That's what happens in these playoff series. When you re-enter a star player, you know, they have to find their rhythm you're going to have to bite the bullet, right? There's going to be a half or even a game where they got to get right. In the regular season, that's fine. But like in a game six of a Western Conference Finals, can you afford a half of Kawhi finding his rhythm is what I'm getting at. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, did y'all see the Clippers waving to the crowd at the end of the game like they had just closed the series out? look I've grown to respect this team because of how resilient they are but I mean my god are they some prima donnas Beverly the way he sat down and then PG they acted like it was over right like we've done it y'all we've done it (laughs) typical Clipper shit this is the Hezzy brought to you by basketballgods.net I'm out y'all